I'm going to begin by introducing the other board members. Um, to my right, your left, uh, we have Cisco Gallarda, and then uh, Nikki Bra Brazil, Mark Brown, <coughs> excuse me, Molly Gallegos, and uh, Dr. Mary Davis, and then of course our guest speaker, uh, Chief Pazin, is here with us. Uh, thank you again, Chief, for, for joining us. We're looking forward to hearing from you. Um, with that said, I want to share a little bit about the Citizens Oversight Board. Um, <clears throat> for those of you that don't know, the citizen, the, the, the ordinance that created the Citizen Oversight Board, as well as the Office of the Independent Monitor, uh, basically fixed three responsibilities for this board. Um, number one is to uh, assess the effectiveness of the Independent Monitor. Um, two is to issue policy recommendations concerning discipline, rules, hiring, training. Um, with regard to personnel in the Denver Police Department, um, the Sheriff's Department, and actually um, some members of the Denver Fire Department. And then finally, we're, we're tasked with um, basically addressing issues of concern with the community. Um, <clears throat> we also want to make sure that we're aware of the complaint process and that we sometimes make recommendations with regard to specific cases that are reflected in those complaints. Uh, I can't, uh, now it's important I, I think for me to share with you that this board does not have any uh, command responsibilities with respect to the law enforcement departments or personnel. Um, we basically exercise uh, our advisory duties through a series of meetings and consultations both with the monitor as well as with uh, members of the, the safety department. And that generally entails quarterly meetings with the director of safety, the police chief, and the sheriff. <clears throat> we also meet regularly with the monitor, and uh, as needed, we sometimes meet with other law enforcement um, personnel. So it's through these meetings that we can monitor confidential internal investigations. Um, we also keep informed on current policies, and we make suggestions and give feedback all right, to, to law enforcement leaders. Uh, I want to share with you because uh, I think it's important that the community be aware of this board and be aware of the issues that we're seeing each time that we meet, that we meet the first and third Friday uh, of every month. <clears throat> Those meetings are held at the, the Independent Monitor's office, which is at, in the first floor of the, the Denver Post building. Um, those meetings are open to the public with the exception of executive sessions where we talk about um, ongoing investigations. And finally, under the ordinance, we're required to hold meetings in the community like this one we're having tonight. And, and so it's through that that we endeavor to hold these forums in different locations um, to, to try to engage as many community members as we possibly can. 
With that said, now that you know a little bit more about the board, um, again, the, the idea with, of these meetings is to basically cover some issue um, relating to criminal justice, uh, to the criminal justice system, and or, and or the oversight system. And tonight, we are fortunate to have um, Police Chief Paul Pazin. Um, and he's going to speak with us uh, about two things, really. We asked him um, to share with the community um, about the new use of force policy that was adopted by the Denver Police Department. Uh, in addition, because he's um, newly appointed to talk to us a little bit about his vision for, for policing here in Denver. Uh, and so with that, I would like to turn it over to, to Chief Pazin. All right. Thank you very much, Bettina. Hello, uh, my name is, is Paul Pazin, and uh, I have the great pleasure of being the police chief for the city and county of, of Denver. And this truly is a, uh, an opportunity that we do not want to uh, waste. Uh, as somebody that uh, grew up to a single mom here in North Denver, you're on my turf, I'm a North Sider, um, that uh, this, is, this is truly an opportunity for us to, to give back. And I would like to also introduce uh, our, our team. Uh, nearest me is Division Chief of Patrol, Ron Thomas. And then uh, standing next to Division Chief Thomas is Deputy Chief Barb Archer. So uh, thanks for, for being here. Uh, we truly have a very uh, talented team. Uh, it's also very Denver-centric and not, uh, that's extra icing on top of the cake. Uh, these are the, the right individuals for the right positions. Uh, both of these uh, folks have extensive backgrounds in the areas of their responsibility and they're tremendous leaders, so I'm super uh, proud of our team. But. Um, like me, they grew up in this city. They went to uh, Denver high schools, and uh, they still choose to live in this city. So when we're talking about connections to our community, uh, that's uh, what we're all about. Um, I'll get started on the, the use of force uh, policy. It's, it's very uh, timely that uh, today was actually the very first uh, training session that we had. Uh, as many of you may know that have participated in this process, that uh, we were training the officers that work in the downtown district, central business district, uh, police district six. Uh, they received uh, the training uh, today. So eight hours worth of training, we'll get into that in a second. I was planning on standing up, but we'll see if this works. So, and, and uh, we also are very fortunate that we have several members uh, from the, the citizen committee that helped to develop this use of force policy. And um, their input is, is, is really what helped us come up with essentially the, the final product, a very strong and progressive policy that we uh, as a city can stand behind and be proud of. So uh, I, I would absolutely love to acknowledge uh, Wes, who's over here, Rashawn, I see in the, the back, uh, Elizabeth, um, thank you very much. Is there any other committee members that participated in this use of force? Okay, three's pretty good, right? <laughs> Um, so basically, this was uh, 19 months worth, uh, worth of work. Uh, Chief White uh, recognized that uh, this policy needed to, to get looked at. Uh, there was an in initial review internal. Um, we uh, quickly, or 
We at some point recognized that uh, we were doing this in maybe not the most transparent pro uh, process possible and uh, fortunately we were able to uh, get community members to, to start looking uh, at this and, and being partners in this uh, review. Uh, several uh, meetings, regular meetings uh, on this process, and uh, ultimately uh, the, the two sides uh, came together and formed uh, this policy. Whoa, pushing fast. Uh, ultimately, the, uh, the goals of the, the, the policy are to increase accountability uh, for our uh, department and the officers that work within the department and really to raise the standard. So uh, this, these are Chief White's terms and, and they're, they're very appropriate when the, when the chief talks about just because you can do something uh, legally uh, doesn't mean that it's the right thing to do. So um, raising that standard above what the, the legal standard uh, is, Graham versus Connor is the case law that, that has settled this in the past. Uh, is holding the, the department and the officers to a higher standard is is much uh, better. And really the what you see in the purpose uh, uh, statement within the policy and throughout the policy is con uh, consistent references to de-escalating. We want to de-escalate situations in order to limit or avoid uh, the use of force in the first place. Everything all right? Thanks, Chair. Great. Um, so uh, we talked about the uh, community committee, uh, the Denver Justice Project, who's uh, represented here today. ACLU participated. The Ministerial Alliance uh, was a part of this. Together Colorado. Wes, thank you very much. Colorado Lat Latino Forum. Uh, City Council played a big part in this as well. Uh, we have to give credit to the, the council members that uh, really stuck with, the, with this. Um, they did a, a tremendous um, job and uh, deserve a lot of credit for this uh, as well. So uh, we list here our planning section. That's because there were many uh, edits and drafts and we had all kinds of different colors in here of what made sense and what didn't make sense, and red, green, black, uh, all kinds of different text and fonts uh, trying to, to come to the final policy. They worked uh, pretty uh, hard. Our, uh, our, our training division had some input as well as our uh, labor organizations. They, may have left the table a little bit uh, early on in the process, but they absolutely uh, were involved in it. And then um, we'll talk about this a little bit more towards the end when we're getting into the meat of the policy, but uh, our new leadership team and the, the senior command staff, uh, we put a fresh set of eyes uh, on this policy, and I'm really proud of the input uh, that they had for this as well. Um, uh, real quickly, this is just a, a snapshot in time. It's based out of 2016 uh, Denver's policy with regards to uh, many of the, uh, the categories that you're looking for in a use of force policy. Uh, we meet uh, many of those categories. That's a comparison to uh, other cities throughout the, uh, the country. Uh, the green line is uh, kind of the consensus policy. That's what International Association of Chiefs of Police uh, recommends and you can see we have higher standards
standards and even what they're pushing. And again, this is uh, due to the uh, the input that uh, community members have, as well as uh, the input that, uh, that that our senior command staff had towards the end. So, we'll talk about that in a little bit. And and I'm blasting through this. Um, I promise we'll have uh, plenty of time for questions uh, moving forward. Um, when we talk about common th themes, it's the uh, de-escalation that you see throughout this, uh, as well as utilizing the decision-making model. We want to make sure that uh, even in uh, the the. the situations that are rapidly unfolding that our officers are uh, comfortable and that they're utilizing uh, sound decision making and that's why the the model is is a big part uh, of this policy we, we want to make sure that those uh, decisions are taken into as many factors as, as possible obviously when you have a lot of time uh, discretionary time to, to make uh, decisions those should be extremely sound uh, we want to make sure that our officers are utilizing and, and uh, very familiar with the uh, decision-making model that is directly aligned with our mission, vision, and values as a department. Um, so it, it's uh, real important to, to note that, um, uh, again, uh, that 19 months worth of, of work uh, and, and having community input, that listening to the community is uh, important. It's not just checking the box and saying that we're doing it. Uh, you can see that uh, over 100 committee recommendations were adopted, and I'll give you a couple of examples uh, of that. So um, when you're talking about the, the purpose uh, of this entire policy, uh, committee language is listed there in uh, the white font, and the gray font is the, uh, the gray text is the, uh, the DPD language. So you can see how they merge uh, together that uh, the committee really had a, uh, a big say in this entire policy. Uh, reasonable and necessary. Um, so, Wes, Elizabeth, this was something that uh, really the committee was uh, all about. They had it right from the get-go. This was something, uh, as we came in late, uh, that we uh, adopted. Um, I, I'll give the committee credit. Uh, reasonable and necessary is where we ended up. We had a couple of cutesy words in there that made it uh, difficult to understand and uh, even more difficult to train and if something's difficult to train as important as the use of force policy then I think we're going to have some challenges on down the road so I like the uh, the language that the that the committee came up with uh, as we implement this policy as, as we move forward training this policy this is uh, the type of language that you want very clear uh, language very understandable language and uh, kudos to the committee because they they got it right, and that's what we uh, implemented. Um, this was a, a big source of contention, particularly uh, late in the process. Uh, many of the committee members uh, really were uh, adamant uh, about this uh, as, as far as being able to uh, talk about the amount uh, of force. Um, this was where uh, we came in uh, and, and really took a fresh set of uh, eyes uh, on this. 
Um, I really like uh, where we ended up uh, on this particular policy when we were talking about uh, using type as the definition. It was, again, a little bit convoluted. It was uh, hard to explain. Uh, really didn't uh, get to the meat of, of what we're talking about. And uh, switching this or, or listening right, taking the recommendations uh, and, and uh, being inclusive of those thoughts, uh, we ended up with uh, amount. And, and again, I am uh, very uh, proud of the final product uh, that we are at. So I guess uh, let me just go back and throw more kudos to the committee because that's where we are on this. So, um, I, you heard me talk about uh, the team that we have. We have a very diverse uh, team, executive command staff, but more importantly, it's a very inclusive team, uh, meaning uh, when we were going through this process, we took, a, a, again, a completely fresh set of eyes uh, on this. Uh, we looked at the committee recommendations. We looked at the uh, proposed uh, use of force policy. We dug up some of the, uh, the other policies from across the country and, and looked at it. Um, here is, is something that I want to point out that our team came up with them with themselves or came up on their own. And uh, that's, again, holding ourselves to a, a higher standard. So, uh, and this wasn't something that we went back to the committee and said, you know, hey, we got these cool little things that we want to add. Uh, what are you willing to trade off for it? We, our, our team put them in place because they were the right things to do. So, um, there is a, 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 a in addition to uh, the rip restraint, making sure that that is done uh, appropriately with the training, uh, implementing that into the policy makes this a stronger policy, as well as um, when the ultimate uh, use of force is utilized, the, the discharge of a firearm, that uh, officers will not be allowed to review body cam footage of that prior to, to making their statements. Uh, again, this was uh, our senior command staff that came up with this. This is the uh, the benefit of having two members that uh, were previous commanders of internal affairs as well as two members that were previous commanders of the major crimes division, the, the two parts uh, of the department that interact most with the use of force policy. So uh, again, very happy with uh, the, the, the end result and I'm also happy that uh, we took the time uh, I, I, I'll, I'll be perfectly honest. We could have hit the easy button both uh, with uh, the uh, the policy itself as well as with the training. Uh, and instead of doing that, we did what was right. So we could have said the July 5th meeting that, that many folks uh, or that the committee members uh, were presented with what was the final use of force policy and said, no, that was the, the final and that's what we're going with. Um, however, we did uh, take the time, several weeks, uh, to review the policy, to, to listen uh, to the recommendations and make appropriate changes as a result of that. And then we could have taken the easy uh, way out and hit the easy button with regards to the implementation of this. We already have a system in place. Uh, basically, it's a fancy email system that you uh, push out documents to all of the officers, and uh, we can track whether people have read it. There's a little sign-off, and really it's uh, for 
uh, CYA. Um, we didn't do that either. Uh, we're taking the hard road with regards to uh, both uh, the policy itself, and, and I'm happy. it's a policy that we can all stand behind, and then uh, we're doing the exact same thing with the training of this. So we'll talk about that here in a second. Um, training, so uh, with all of the, the work that went uh, on uh, on this, the 19 months, uh, the, the the contentious meetings, the uh, the breakthroughs, uh, all of that, that that took place. It was uh, very important that we implement the training and, and implement the policy as, as quickly as possible. Um, in order to do it right, we want to make sure that our officers have comprehensive training. And uh, what we came up is, came up with is that all officers, with today being the first day that the training uh, was rolled out, will receive eight hours of training on the policy itself. Our supervisors, the street supervisors, the sergeants will receive an additional four hours of training because we have to make sure that we're documenting uh, any and all of the use of force incidences appropriately. So supervisors get additional four hours worth of, of training. And uh, as we discussed uh, briefly, it's a phased uh, approach. We are starting with uh, District 6. We have this very uh, comprehensive schedule. We have, when we're training officers from District 6, there's still 911 calls that come in, so we have to do this uh, staggered approach. But uh, it's, it's, it's very ambitious for us to attempt to get everybody trained by the end of the year. Um, but the schedule that we have in place uh, gets us there. So uh, I'm real happy with the Training Bureau and, and the amount of uh, effort that they've already put into this, as well as uh, our supervisory team that has put the schedule together for it. So uh, that's where we are in 2018, and, and, and we're very intentional on, on putting that because 2019, we have additional training or some follow-up training to really uh, ensure that we uh, reinforce the training that, that has taken place. Um, I would have loved to have started this type of training in 2018. However, uh, the, uh, the, the, the technology doesn't exist uh, as far as creating your own scenarios right now. So uh, we do have a couple of folks that have gone through the uh, Virtua 300. Uh, this is a uh, almost a 360. That's why they call it 300. Uh, but we are creating our own scenarios based on use of force incidences based on litigated cases so we can uh, ensure that officers go through this process in, uh, in, in a reality-based uh, simulator, in virtual reality simulator. We will train out the gray areas of, of the policy that they will know exactly what it is that uh, is expected of them uh, when they're out on the street at 3 o'clock in the morning in random district X. So um, very excited about this. This is something that we are working towards. It takes several months to build out uh, the scenarios. You have to video them, and there's a bunch of if-then uh, type. And I know we have some folks that have gone through the simulator, and they can kind of you know uh, explain how this uh, is is great training in its current form. It's uh, this is the first of, of I've heard anybody attempting to do this uh, based on use of force, uh, based on a use of force um, policy. So that's what we're doing in 2019. It should really um, help us quite a bit as we reinforce in 
can cement the type of uh, training that we need with regards to this critical policy. And that's it. We got to end with a cool DPD badge, right? That's fancy <laughs> graphics for us. Questions on use of force? Yeah, uh, thank you very much, Chief Pazin. Um, I, I think initially I want to ask the, the board if, if they have any questions, and then we'll, we'll open it up to, to the public. Thank you for the presentation. Uh, does anyone from the board have any questions for the chief regarding anything that he, uh, he mentioned? Well, since you ended uh, talking about Vertra and um, training, can you tell us how many hours each officer will go through on the Vertra so, machine? So um, our training in 2018 is eight hours, and then that reinforced training in 19 is going to be 16 hours. Okay, and how many of those hours in 2019 will be on the Vertra simulator? Yeah, it, it, so it's, it's segmented. You, you can tell how those uh, sessions themselves, um, based on how the officers perform through that, it could be very extended or it could be a little bit short. So we're doing, um, you know, lecture base. It's an interaction of, of both. Okay, but will every officer get, say, a minimum of the situation-based play, like a minimum of an hour? We're going to have or? a minimum of scenarios, a minimum number of scenarios. Okay, and that and hasn't we're creating, been determined right, We're creating those scenarios based on previous incidences of use of force uh, that, that maybe we could have improved on prior to. Okay, and so when we visited and went through the Vertra simulation process, there was a discussion with the trainer afterwards about the choices we made at various points. Is that a standard part of that training? That's exactly what we're talking about. We're utilizing that technology to enhance the learning, adult-based learning, um, situational-based learning. So that's uh, that, that's why we're pushing towards this goal. And, and I think, you know, as somebody uh, outside the police department that's gone through that process, that's exactly what we're talking about. And maybe you can speak to whether or not you think that that's uh, advantageous to use that type of, of, of training uh, moving forward. I, I certainly appreciated the stop and discuss portion of yes. that training. Great. Yeah. For context for the community, uh, just so you know, uh, the, the board members who were able to go uh, recently did a, um, a half day going through various aspects of the Department of Safety's uh, program. So we went and we visited um, the downtown detention facility. We also went to the police academy, um, and there we um, got to see a, a bit of the CIT training as well as um, experience the verse the vertra um visual simulator um in a um a very active shooter type um scenario that was it was very informative thank you perfect thank you Any, anybody else i have a question here so is this some uh, police departments huh use your mic please oh so some people and other departments uh, the officers, when they point a gun at someone, regardless if they use it or not, they write reports about it right. and what what caused them to unholster their weapon. And even if it's a short one, do the Denver Police Department do that? Is that a standard procedure, and did that change? 
So uh, the, the procedure policy did not change with regards to that. We did take a fresh uh, look at, at, at that specific um, policy. We, we grabbed uh, sample policies from all over the country. Some do, some don't. And um, I, I, I mean, I get, the answer to that is, is no. We do, do not require a use of force report um, anytime somebody uh, unholsters their, their weapon. And um, we, we did uh, deliberate and discuss this uh, quite extensively. Was it because this it was too time consuming? Because they uh, well, uh, again, um, we looked. You know, you know again, th these are. 19 months worth of, of conversations that really have taken place as well as hours upon hours uh, of things that we looked at so there's not like a, a one reason over another it's it's essentially even some of the verbiage that you'll see in here the totality of the circumstances um, so uh, it, it is something that we did uh, look at it it is not part of the final policy okay thank you chief you spoke about the um, input that you got in, in, in this policy and knowing that you were making some changes, you have a um, fresh look at some things, you know, what your plans would be to include the community, the OIM, the COB in future um, policy changes that might come about. Uh, Great question, you know, and, and I'm so glad that you asked, right? And then I think uh, the committee members, we talked about this uh, when we presented, um, what day was that? That had to have been July 20, was it July, early August? I don't know when it was. Um, we, we did talk about this uh, because uh, this use of force policy is essentially a, a living document, right? Um, uh, we're, we need to see what's working and what's not working, and we, we made a commitment to the committee that we would circle back in a year when we have some data to show what uh, are the strengths of the policy and what, if any, are the weaknesses of the policy and to come together and try to figure out different areas. And uh, I mean, I guess, uh, you know, there, there are plenty of, of uh, items that were uh, looked at, discussed, deliberated that may uh, in the future become uh, part of the policy or, or we just need more time to, to see what it looks like uh, after we train it, after we implement it, and after it's in use. And so that's related to the, this policy. Mm -hmm. Just thinking, moving forward, other policies that you may think about or you may consider making changes, the involvement of the Office of Independent Monitor, these citizen oversight board, other right. community members. Um, what is your philosophy about that? So um, the the philosophy is that community-led projects are always better than projects that we try to figure out on our own. And uh, and I wish Nick was here because he actually had uh, some input as we were trying to put this uh, over the finish line as well. So um, that is our philosophy, uh, getting community input uh, moving forward on, on things that we do. There are critical policies that we have, and there's, uh, I, I can't think of one that's more critical than the use of force policy, but there's other policies that are pretty uh, mundane, uh, the uniform um, policy that, that we have that might not necessarily uh, need community input on something like that, but for the, uh, the higher level or uh, you know, the critical ones, chase policy, use of force policy, EO policy, uh, those, those higher level ones, then absolutely. 
And so you, you, you were mentioning, Nick, uh, the OIM piece. The Citizen Oversight Board is, uh, is accountable to the community. Um, you know, we're established in stature as having um, the responsibility for making recommendations related po to policy and, and some other things. And so we just um, want to emphasize our role, our potential role in changes that you may um, contemplate. Thank you very much. Um, so speaking of the community, you know the community I'm sure has um, expressed a pretty strong belief in de-escalation tactics. And so I'm just curious, um, how does the use of force policy address de-escalation? And did you get a copy of the policy yet, by chance? I think so. Okay. And I, I know I saw a couple of, of, of copies floating around. Uh, de-escalation is clearly stated in, in the, the purpose, and then it's repeated over and over again. Um, De-escalation is, is the first uh, goal that we're trying to accomplish here. I can tell you that the, the women and men that make up this department, that they're not out there going on the street looking for a fight, looking to mix it up or, or looking to get into any kind of physical confrontation. We define that in policy and uh, we emphasize de-escalation. That's part of that decision-making uh, model as well. So uh, the, it's a very strong progressive policy that, that really highlights uh, the need to de-escalate is uh, when when practical. So uh, you'll see other key phrases that totality of the circumstances may dictate something else. And how will you evaluate the new policy's effectiveness at de-escalation? So, and, and then I guess this is a, an area that um, why we need a, a year's worth uh, of study on this. Uh, we, we need the policy trained, we need it implemented, and then we need to see how it works. But the, the training, or and then of course Wes leaves right at this uh, critical point, right? Because Wes is the one talking about that uh, data collection uh, with regards to, uh, to tracking this. We're, uh, currently the OIM's report, semi-annual and annual report tracks this. Are you, uh, in the Internal Affairs Bureau tracks the numbers uh, of complaints, the use of force incidences that we have, and that's how we will collect and, and find out if the, you know, the policy's working or the policy's not working. So both in uh, number and, and, and uses uh, of force as well as uh, the outcomes of those as well. Just for clarification, uh, Chief, it sounded like you said that you were going to rely on the OIMs uh, no, no, tracking no, no, no. of no, the no. use of force events? I'm saying that that's another uh, uh, tracking mechanism that already exists. We, we have uh, an internal system that does that. Uh, that annual report also tracks uh, use of force, uh, you know, the incidences as well. Okay. Uh, so some jurisdictions have made commitments to transparency regarding use of force incidents is there any plans for dpd we to are we are uh look that's why i was pointing to wes who left uh very untimely uh <laughs> as we said because uh he shared with me uh we, we we've looked at other uh cities and and how they do it uh new york seattle's los angeles uh wes actually has something that uh, seems uh, very streamlined and, and would work um, quite well. So we're looking at that uh, right now. 
Do you have a goal um, for what year that might kick in? Um, I, I I don't. We're okay. we're looking at it, and uh, and I mean to the point that you say this is something that is uh, very transparent, um, and we can talk about it more with regards to the the vision for DPD. Um, our 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 stated goals, our vision that we're talking about, we want fewer uh, disciplined cases in the first place. And, and we're uh, reaching uh, a, a across the table with labor groups with a stated goal of reducing the total number of uh, incidences that we have. So uh, instead of arguing about um, how severe a particular discipline case would be with one of the, the unions, it's so much better if we can work together to try to reduce the number of, of discipline cases in the first place. And, and when we're talking about uh, prevention, we're not talking about only uh, with regards to crime, we're talking about even discipline cases, use of force, all of those types of, of incidences. So, Wes, do you have something in hand for me? <laughs> I just we, we we talk about you and then you leave. <laughs> okay. Okay. All right. That's not that's not the the uh, the, the the chart that we were looking at, but we're good. So, Chief, just um, want to ask a couple of clarifying questions based on what you you just said. Um, what when you talk about de-escalation, can you? Can you put some context in that for us? I mean, the word is used, I, I think we have a sense of it, but can you, you know, give us an example of sort of specifically how we would know that this policy is actually creating a situation where they're, they're the system, the circumstances were de-escalated? So, uh, and there's a, a couple of things that you can look at in the policy itself, right? You can see uh, this fancy little chart that we have with arrows going up and, and uh, arrows right. going down and cool blue and <laughs> bright red. Right. Um, so essentially, and, and then... Um, and I think it, that looks nice. I guess, I'm, yeah. I'm, you know, I think it would be helpful for us to hear, you know, just an example so we can really know what, how it might work in real life. So uh, essentially... Um, Oftentimes, officers are called, uh, 911 is, is dialed because somebody is in crisis, mm -hmm. right? Somebody's having a bad day. And uh, the, the, the people that are out there to respond are the, the Denver Police Department, the police officers. And they're oftentimes dealing with people when they uh, happen to, to be uh, at their worst. They may have a lot of stressors that have triggered them having a, a very bad day. There could be mental health, substance abuse, plenty of the, uh, the drivers that can uh, lead to individuals being in crisis or having a bad day. The de-escalation is instead of meeting force with force or meeting uh, agitation with agitation, confrontation with confrontation, you're trying to step that down and you're trying to do that in a non-physical way. You're trying to do that using your words instead of your hands. That same stuff that we learn in kindergarten, right? <laughs> use your words, use your nice words. Thank you. Um, and then another question I had, again, a clarifying point is you, I think I heard you say that the way that you're wanting to try to evaluate whether the policy changes are effective is by looking at the data that you're going to be collecting around types of force, amount of force. That that that's is, am I correct? You're correct. And so um, I think the only question I have it's it really akin to what Mary was asking is to what extent do you 
um, anticipate or do you think you will involve you know the OIM or the COB or the community in the evaluation process or at least developing that evaluation process? So and then kind of back to my my same answer the OIM is involved in every single one of these uh, the, the annual report, the semi-annual report, they're already uh, involved uh, on all of our complaints, right? Yes, but okay. I, I, I'm talking about actual evaluation of a policy. Right. Right. Um, we, we need uh, to, to train the policy, we need to implement the policy, mm -hmm. and then we need to see if the policy is working. And I'm not ready to say that we have figured that part of it out. Of course. So we, we did say newly appointed chief early on. <laughs> Absolutely. Right? Absolutely. It's been a couple of weeks. Can you give yeah. me you know, a yeah. little bit? I'm we're telling you that we're looking at, at, at different things. I'm super proud of, of where yeah. we uh, are. We're not to that, that stage yet, but it is sure. absolutely on the radar. Thank you. Okay. I think it's just transparency about the commitment to including the community that I wanted to know. Thank that you. Sounds good. Anyone else have questions? Um, okay. Well, then I think at this point uh, I, we would like to open it up to the public. Is there something else? Oh, actually, I, I'm sorry. Let us take a step back. Um, Chief, you, you were also going to speak about your vision for... Yes. So I'd, I'd like to do that, actually, before we, we just have, have open questions from the community. Okay. Are you sure? Use of force is pretty specific. Use of force is specific. I start getting on vision. We're, we're, but we're, we're, we're all on here. on a path with me, okay? We're all here. We're I don't, think, I don't okay. think anyone... Thank you, though. All right. Great. Um, so uh, thank you for allowing us this opportunity as well because I'm very excited about uh, the future of the Denver Police Department and, and how uh, it is going to help uh, this city moving forward. Um, we need to give credit where credit is due and the foundation that the Denver Police Department is built on the legacy that, that Chief White has left us. We can't forget where we were uh, seven years ago uh, prior to Chief White coming uh, to the Denver Police Department. And he had a lot of uh, great uh, changes that have uh, helped and benefited us. It would be a shame for us to throw all of that out and start over. And that's not what we're doing. We're not going backwards. We're going to learn um, from the mistakes that we've made over the past, and we're going to improve upon those. Our foundation is built on uh, preventing crime and treating pe people with respect and dignity. That's uh, what, what Chief White uh, talked about and uh, really had created uh, our mission here in the Denver Police Department. And those are some areas of strength uh, that we have, and we want to build, build on and improve those. Now, we're going to continue to, to work hard. We're going to continue to come up with innovative strategies to prevent crime from occurring in the first place. And we're going to continue and, and try to do even better with treating people with respect and dignity. However, our future is about reaching and stretching. And uh, what we're going to do moving forward is focus on reducing social harms. Now, Social harms are the fear of crime, mental health, substance abuse, and uh, we have to do something about multimodal, right? Dr. Davis was talking about how, how long it took uh, coming over um, here. This is the same street grid that we've had for decades, and we have a lot more uh, people that live in our community, as well as uh, a lot of folks that come in uh, to Denver to work during the day and leave, and then people that come in at night to be entertained and leave on top of the 700,000 residents that, that live here. So we have to do uh, something uh, more with regards to multimodal. Um, 
we're, we, we talk about crime and crime strategies, and we have um, some very uh, effective uh, in- incidences or very effective models that, that have uh, proven effective um, for us. However, um, it's, we have to address the fear of crime as well, because uh, if you do not feel safe going to the library uh, across the street, going to uh, a business district, then it doesn't matter if the crime arrow is pointing down or the crime arrow is pointing up, you are still harmed and, and you still are, are not living uh, life to its fullest because you're uh, locked into your, your house or you're afraid to, to go out and enjoy a park or, or to, you know, go to schools or whatever it is. So we have to do something about the fear of crime. Uh, we also have to look at uh, many of the, the whys that crime uh, occurs. And sometimes uh, the drivers of crime involve uh, issues with regards to mental health and substance abuse. And that's what we're talking about, reaching and stretching, uh, uh, building on and establishing new partnerships with uh, traditional and non-traditional, uh, both governmental and non-governmental agencies to address uh, these types of, of challenges that often are the uh, underlying cause and, and uh, drivers of crime. So over the years, we've been doing pretty good at addressing the what, crime being the what. You see the, the fancy maps that we create with red dots and blue dots and circles and indicating what crime type. And then we have uh, plenty of charts and, and data that says uh, what crime type is going up and what crime type is is going down, and we look at this in seven-day, 28-day, 52-week, uh, year-to-date uh, averages. We compare years over years, and we uh, look for patterns and trends to try to address it. That's the what. Uh, we need to look at uh, the why, and the whys are the, the social harms. That's what we're uh, doing moving forward. We're going to uh, take a deeper dive in order to uh, help us uh, address uh, these types of, of issues. The how that we're going to do it is through precision policing. And precision policing, uh, I'll give you a couple of examples. Uh, essentially, there are 78 neighborhoods in, in Denver. And all 78 of the neighborhoods are very unique. You're in the West Colfax neighborhood uh, right now, and West Colfax is very different than Villa Park just to our uh, south. Uh, we need to make sure that we're meeting those needs, the social harms that impact this neighborhood compared to a different neighborhood. So uh, I often talk about Sun Valley because uh, Sun Valley is a, a neighborhood that's near and dear to my heart. Uh, Sun Valley is the poorest neighborhood in the state of Colorado and the only neighborhood in Denver that has more young people than adults. They also have uh, the highest levels of mental health challenges, both with adults and young people. Now. Their social harm is obvious, mental health um, challenges. Another neighborhood that I think uh, many of us know about, and that would be the Cherry Creek neighborhood. The Cherry Creek neighborhood has uh, a different set of challenges. Fear of crime may be the social harm. You have people that uh, may be uh, afraid of being accosted when they're out uh, shopping. The precision policing is making sure that we are meeting the needs of both communities and we're not over-policing in Sun Valley by taking the cops out of the Cherry Creek neighborhood and providing extra officers in this area 
and it's not taking the cops out of Sun Valley and putting them in a uh, affluent neighborhood. It's about partnering and collaborating with traditional and non-traditional groups in order to do this. So in Sun Valley, for example, you would have nonprofits that deliver mental health services, and, and we have uh, done this, where they've reached out to 142 families inside the home delivering direct mental health services uh, to folks in need. That's a partnership that, that uh, we've developed and that we move um, forward. That's precision um, policing. In Cherry Creek, it would be some of the more traditional types of partnerships with business associations, the, the RNOs, in order to address the, the fear of crimes. It could be some force multipliers in that particular neighborhood in order to reduce uh, the fear. So that's the, the how that we're going to do it. And then we have several uh, large-scale uh, programs that we want to implement first uh, on that list is a domestic violence focused deterrence model. Uh, this city does a outstanding job of uh, wrapping its arms around our victims of domestic violence and that needs to continue and it will continue. An area where we can improve is on the uh, offender side of things and we can do this in a proactive way in an effort to reduce the total number of domestic violence incidents. This is a model that has uh, been proven effective out of North Carolina the University of North Carolina independent evaluation of this process showing uh, tremendous results. Uh, if we, even with a very uh, conservative estimate, if we're able to get this off the ground and uh, launch this 10% uh, reduction, which is a conservative number, uh, would be 241 fewer incidences, 241 fewer victims of domestic violence. So we're working uh, very hard towards this. Uh, we're working with our uh, city agency partners, the DA's office, but again, also nonprofits and non-traditional partners to uh, help us in a proactive way address the other component, the other side of the equation in order to reduce the numbers of victims in this case. So uh, very important. Um, and then one of our, uh, and I don't mind uh, staying, saying this, but uh, something that's very important moving forward is that uh, we put in our strategic plan that we are taking care of the people that take care of the people. Uh, we need to do a better job of making sure that uh, our officers that are implementing these policies, that uh, their wellness is being accounted for, and that uh, we don't have officers that are out on the street having their worst day or their bad day when they're interacting with our community. And if we are doing this in a uh, more comprehensive uh, approach as well, then I think we'll be more effective as we implement this policy as well as uh, those short-term and long-term strategies. And I have a, a longer-term strategy that's only going to revolutionize law enforcement altogether, but we'll save that for the next COB, okay? <laughs> and, that, and that's where we're going. Chief, I've got one question. Um, my 50-year-old son, there was a, the most recent shooting, um, the officer shot the black youth in the back. Uh, I'm sorry? Can't hear. Okay. Um, and I asked him, you know, if he didn't commit a crime, why are you running? You know, but his response to me is that he was afraid of the police officers. And so 
I've been in law enforcement for 30 years, and I'm trying to figure out a way how to relay his fears about the officers. I've always told them, you know, go to the officer. You know, they're going to help you out. And I think Commander Thomas was at a, a group. Weren't you there at the uh, young black men? I think you were speaking at that uh, conference uh, a couple months ago. And, uh, and, and they get, did a great job just talking to these young black men on how to deal with police officers. You know, I always tell them, you know, if you get pulled over, put your hands on the wheels, ask for permission, do all the things you're supposed to do. But he's still afraid. So what can you do to go back into the community to talk to these young men of color to say, you know, it's okay, We're, you know, how, how, how are you going to bridge that issue? I'm just curious. So, uh, how much time do we have? <laughs> um, well, uh, a, a couple of things, right? And, and let me just lean on the policy. I mean, we're, you know, we're putting it in print that, that we want to de-escalate. Now, um, you uh, know the Office of Independent Mon Monitor very well, right? Yes. There we go. Uh, Bridging the Gap uh, Kids and Cops program. Have you heard of, of, of that program? Yes. Okay. Um, well, so those that haven't heard of the program, I'll give the, the, the real Reader's Digest version. In uh, 2013, right, Gia? Uh, Nick Mitchell uh, and, and, and the office or noticed uh, an increase of low-level uh, interactions that turned into high-level uses of force or complaints. That's not good. So, I mean, essentially, um, you know, kind of uh, broadening that topic, right? Uh, a low-level contact, contact, you know, an officer interacting with uh, a young person, a young person of color, those should go uh, pretty smooth. Just stopping, saying hi, seeing what's going on. Uh, there was too many of these cases that are escalating to use of force and very negative complaints. So uh, to Nick's uh, credit, uh, identified this and... We could, we could say that the OIM is more on, on this side of the spectrum and the Denver Police Department is more on this side of the spectrum, right? OIM has oversight over the police department. But this is too important of an issue for us to stay in our own silos or stay on the opposite sides of the spectrum. So, uh, you know, one of the, 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 the founders of this program uh, is also in the back of the room. But um, this is how we're doing that outreach, is uh, creating that program and um, that, that the initial steps to that were here in, in Northwest Denver. Uh, I'm a, a, a very strong supporter of that program because essentially we're having those conversations in small groups, youth and adult facilitated, to break down those barriers, to bridge the gap between kids and cops. So. Uh, as somebody that was on board since 2013 and, and went to uh, all of the funding meetings to try to get it, the, the technical assistance to create it, and somebody that continues to push it, we are now being uh, evaluated by the University of Colorado at Denver and seeing great results uh, of this. So that's the just a snapshot of an incredible program uh, that we can all as a city be very proud of. Um, but my stance and my philosophy is what you're talking about. We want to expand, grow, and do more, get better. 
uh, as we move forward. And this is uh, one example where we are having those types of results, but it also speaks to that track record. Um, this is this is not something new. We're not new to this to this game. Saying you know, okay, we we you know we have the answers. We don't. This is a partnership and a collaboration with OIM and and nonprofits. Uh, we have Lyric Learn Your Rights in Colorado teaching Know Your Rights, Know Your Responsibilities. It's it's a collaborative effort. We can't do this job all by ourselves. We need every single person uh, in this room, even with folks that are, are opposite sides of, of the spectrum, that see things through uh, different sides or different prisms, that's how we get all of this done. Uh, and I'm here to tell you that, that we don't think uh, that we have all the answers and we're going to you know, uh, push our uh, vision forward and say, you know, this is it. So kind of got me on my soapbox there for a second. <laughs> I'll step down here in a minute, so. Any other questions from the, from the board? Well, I do have uh, <clears throat> one question regarding, um, it came to my attention, well, you know, I work with a lot of youth in schools and, you know, very, they have different interactions with the police. And it seems to me that the Denver Police Department, there was a thing with uh, SROs in schools. And so they took, removed some of the SROs and tried to reduce the tickets, which people refer to as the school to, pipe, uh, to jail pipeline. Mm -hmm. But now it feels like the, the DPS security has picked up some of the interactions with youth. And my concern with that is, and then they refer out to the DPD. So this, the, so one is, you know, does DPD, I know you might not know this answer, I'm just putting it out there as the context, is does DPD count that against their police interactions? One, we, you know, I don't, I, you probably don't have the answer right now for that, but that's one to look into. The second one is, my concern is, and I know, uh, I think one of the main officers in DPD security used to be a, secure, or a police officer in Colorado Springs, retired police officer, but do they have the training that, that is up to Denver standards, this is my concern, um, and beyond to um, deal with our youth in a way, you know, because they're using them as the heavy instead of the school. And, and then that escalates, and then they call DPD, and then that's escalating. Mm -hmm. And so I, I would really love to see a coordination. I know Padres Unidos, other organizations mm -hmm. are working on this, and, and um, it's an issue dear to my heart because the kids that we work with tend to be the ones labeled the hardest, you know. But at the same time, they're, they're, you know, they're still kids to me. Right. And how do we... You know, I like to see somehow in the future we could, you know, talk about that more. And I know it's, you know, you just came on. I don't know how much you're aware of that, but I think it's one of those issues that is really important because those are the interactions that where you have this pseudo uh, law enforcement in the middle, and that could really, by the time the officers are getting involved, it could already be escalated. So I'd like to see some work with that, if we could, you know, in the future. So uh, it, it's something that, that I am passionate about, and it's something that I do know a little bit uh, about. It's something that is incorporated with the, the Bridging the Gap program as well. So our officers get uh, training on top of just the forums that take place, where they're learning their position as the gatekeeper to the school-to-prison pipeline. And 
officers are learning what RRI and DMC are and their role in that. So that's that's the, the Denver Police Department's uh, position and, and extra training uh, that they get. This is, again, an evidence-based model mm -hmm. that uh, Gia found out of uh, Connecticut, evaluated by the University of Connecticut. So, again, not just random stuff. No, of, I support hey, that sounds, part. I'm more right. worried about... So that so so uh, so that's that's part that's the Denver Police Department's position. Now there is a uh, MOU at, that was assigned at North High School. Any other Vikings in the room, or am I the only one? Okay, <laughs> no, there's two. Okay, four Vikings um, here. We can get back up in a minute. I promise. Yeah. Um, that was signed at North High School, and this is Padres Unidos, Denver Public Schools, and uh, the Denver Police Department. Now there is a separation that takes place when we're. We, we want more case, more incidences uh, that, that are disciplined referred to and handled by the school. Discipline is not criminal. And that's where things started to get out of whack across the country. When uh, schools are using the police officers, the school resource officers, to handle their discipline. Discipline is not uh, criminal. And we need to make sure that that, that doesn't happen. So that, that uh, IGA signed by the chief of police, by the superintendent, and signed by Padres Unidos in the library of, of North High School outlines exactly what takes place, who's responsible for what. So if it's a disciplinary uh, matter, that's the school's uh, responsibility. If it's a criminal matter, it's the police departments. And we're, we're even moving towards uh, other things as well. So there's a restorative justice that takes place at Lake Middle School, just a couple of blocks from, from where we are, and we're fully supportive um, of that. So discipline issues are DPSs, criminal issues are DPDs. So. It is something that we that we look at, and then you know Padres, you know similarly so does a, an annual report as well that shows um, what schools are trending up and what schools are trending down. Well, what I'm asking though is with this, where they're utilizing DPS security and putting them in the middle, mm -hmm. and then they're calling the police. You know right. what I mean? Like they, it seems like you know some of them are at their wits' end because some of the schools contact other organizations mm -hmm. to handle disciplinary issues they could they can't handle. Right. Which I agree with that part. I like that. But the, I'm more worried about the DPD, um, the DPS, DPS security, right. and you know I think you know I know you got you guys have a role to play in that. I know that's not your responsibility, but you know we, I think there has to be some dialogue around that, right? And regarding uh, that issue. The only piece that I can say, I mean, again, a whole whole separate entity. Um, what I can say is they don't have uh, ticket writing or arrest uh, authority. So um, at least when we're talking about some of those lower level uh, incidences, lower level crimes that can then put uh, a young person on on a path that we, we don't want them to be on, mm -hmm. um, that they don't have that that uh, authority to do that. So there's a little bit of, of uh, that should you know, be a little bit of solace at least that they, they can't write tickets. They don't, they weren't granted that authority, uh, in our city. So I hope I that helps a little bit. I don't, so I, I, I just can't speak for a, a, a different agency ultimately. I just want to know if we have a conversation with them, 
you guys would be at the table regarding yeah. these issues. No, That's the most important. Yeah, we, 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 we do uh, have regular conversations uh, with that leadership team. Um, we have to keep the school safe. We have to keep uh, this school safe. And, and uh, not only um, you know, low-level incidences, but high-level incidences, as well as traffic around the school. So mm -hmm. um, there are uh, coordinated uh, conversations that do take place. Uh, more of those individual ones would, would be just that. We would have to, if we have a specific incident where uh, uh, you know, uh, an individual didn't perform at the level that we expected them to be, whether it was the police officer or uh, a member of the school staff, then we do have ongoing conversations about specific incidences, but not as a whole. Okay. <laughs> Any other board member questions? Okay. Well, th I think that um, at this point we would like to give the audience members who are here in attendance and have been sitting and listening an opportunity to address the board or uh, the police chief. Um, there is a microphone there in the middle um, that will we'll ask you all to cue in. Um, but given the number of people, I'm going to have to ask that each person only, only spend no more than two minutes right at the microphone and certainly um, give give Chief Pazin the opportunity to respond to your questions and uh, we'll do our best to, to try to get through them all. When you um, when you come to the mic, could you please uh, tell us your name um, and and then um, who you would like to address your question to? Yes, hello. Is this on? Okay. Yes, hello, Miguel Ceballos. I am a board member of the Colorado Latino Forum. Um, my question is concerning an incident that happened on November 8th of 2016 where Aurora police came into the, the Denver community of Montbello. Um, they were in an unmarked uh, F-150. None of the dash cams or the body cameras were on on this incident. So I'm very proud of this uh, new use of force. I think it's a good start. Um, but my concern is being a resident of Northeast Denver and the proximity to Aurora. Um, you know, I really don't want Aurora police coming in, right? Because we, this board, uh, the independent monitor, has no oversight over them, right? Um, and so when Aurora police does come into our communities, this use of force policy doesn't apply to them. Um, uh, this is a loophole that I have identified uh, before I've talked to um, Mr. Uh, Commander Thomas about it at community meetings before. Um, I want to know, in your view, what could be done to close this loophole? So, uh, and, and I know a little bit of the incident that you speak of, uh, nothing in detail. Um, and my understanding of this incident is that it uh, essentially, and, and, and these are just you know legal or, or terms that we uh, have used, uh, it, fresh pursuit, that it was a, a continuing criminal episode that started in their jurisdiction. They didn't just uh, come into to Denver, they didn't just cross um, our boundaries and then try to initiate a traffic stop or a low-level type of, of work. Uh, there was some sort of high-level crime homicide that occurred in, in Aurora. So in those types of cases, so, uh, when we're talking about the... Well, uh, Denver police was there on the scene first, right. as I understand it, but Aurora police did roll up on to the property. Um, 
my concern about the the whole story is that um you know they were undercover they had no insignia on the car they had no sirens on they right. um did not appear to be police officers i would get scared if someone right. rolled up to my house like that so what what i want to know is specifically um is how can we prevent something like that happening again in denver so, uh, you know, this is just a, uh, a, a situation, that, again, that's based on the Colorado Post, meaning uh, our officers are certified by the state of Colorado. If the, if the situation were reversed and our officers were following up on a high-level investigation that occurred here uh, in, in uh, West Denver and then uh, continued into Lakewood, the uh, Denver Police Department would notify Lakewood as a courtesy, and they would then, uh, you know, do some follow-up. There are some some handoffs that that do take place. There are some. Are, are use of force policies still applies to those police officers when they enter Lakewood, right? So, uh, this, absolutely, that the Denver use of force policy would apply to Denver officers whether uh, they engaged in any type of force so, issues in Denver or Aurora. But it, it does not apply to Aurora police officers coming you're, into. You're them. correct. Their policy would apply to them, and then, but the, there is there is some accountability here from the city of Denver, and then those cases are reviewed by the Denver District Attorney's Office. So. When we are talking about uh, a situation like that, uh, the Denver DA's, jur uh, Denver DA's office would have uh, jurisdiction over that, not the 17th or the 18th uh, JD that covers North and South Aurora. No, Thank yeah, and, and Beth McCann um, are, did, uh, you know, um, choose not to pursue any charges against officers in that in that incident. Thank you. Yes. So. Thank you, Ms. Miguel. Um, Irene Rodriguez, The Nation Report. Um, back to your point about uniforms, I don't consider that a trivial issue because speaking as somebody who was beaten by the Denver police while doing my job on the street, I was not able to tell who did it because I couldn't, it would be nice to be able to read an officer's name. Um, Could you make sure that you're speaking into, into the microphone? As, and we can lower that for you. Uh, it's on the. I don't know. Better? I don't know. Um, does the use of. I, I, this is my first exposure to the new use of force policy. Can you tell me if um, you have, or the committee, have devised uh, consequences for those officers who don't follow the use of force policy? So, uh, great question, and I'm really glad that you asked. Um, this uh, violations of the use of force policy would then be refer referred to the disciplinary matrix, right? So their internal affairs would uh, review the case. This would be monitored by uh, OIM. Then it goes to uh, conduct review. Conduct review then sees where that fits within the disciplinary matrix. The disciplinary matrix was also something that was open and transparent. There were uh, members of the community, members uh, of uh, the department and other city agencies that weighed in to say, okay, violation X equals this type of, of penalty. Seven different categories from very minor to uh, termination that take place. So depending on the severity, the type, that that's where it would fall within the matrix. And then uh, again, the uh, 
OIM has a representative in that conduct review meeting that takes place when they're discussing how and why essentially the justification on uh, this violation equals category A through F, why it fits that definition, and whether or not the situation is mitigated or is uh, aggravated, or if it falls uh, right in the middle, and then that's how the penalties are uh, designed. And then again, when we're talking about transparency, those cases, whether the OIM agreed with them or disagreed with them, are all uh, put into the annual report. If I have 15 more seconds, um, when there is an incident on the street, does the officer, um, you talked about sequestration, is the officer um, taken to an individual room and who is the first point of contact after so that? So investigation, is that what, I, I, it, it just cut out just for a second. Sequestration. Sequ uh, so depending on, on the, the incident, um, when we're talking about the highest uh, levels uh, of force, then uh, that is exactly uh, the case. On uh, the lower levels, uh, it's an overall investigation, and it's uh, a comprehensive investigation that starts with uh, witnesses. It starts with getting uh, interviews from the people that were uh, involved, putting all of that together, and then there are multiple levels of review all the way through with uh, a level of transparency with uh, annual reports as well. Okay. Wes. Hi, my name is Wes Gary, and I have a uh, comment and then a question for the uh, Citizens Oversight Board. Oh, good. Um, I'm a member of Together Colorado. It's about you, though, Chief. Um, <laughs> I'm a member of Together Colorado, a faith-based nonpartisan group of community organi organizers, and I was on the Police Chief's uh, Use of Force Policy Committee. And uh, my comment is that the, the policy is, is a big improvement of what we had in the past. Um, but a policy, of course, is just words, and there's going to be a lot of training and so forth. But what we want to see now at Together Colorado is we want to see measured results. We want to see numbers. Uh, in the past, there's been very little information put out by the police department about use of force. And so when I was on the committee, we came up with six or seven questions, basic questions we would like to see the police department answer every year. And of course, that recommendation was rejected, but we don't give up. So. My question now to the Citizens Oversight Board, because we, I believe that reporting and statistics and is, is part of oversight. You know, having, having annual reports and coming back and reviewing your performance, that's oversight. So I would ask if the Citizens Oversight Board will support Together Colorado in asking the police department to commit to putting out annual, not we're thinking about it, we might do it, we're considering lots of things, commit to putting out annual reports public reports about how the police department is using force each year. Now you have on your desk uh, the six or seven questions that I handed out that, I, that, I, that we wanted to, to get the police department to answer each year. Those are just examples. I'm sure there's lots more, but uh, we would like a commitment rather than a uh, we'll, we'll look at it kind of a response. So we would ask, Together Colorado is asking you to support us in, in requesting that the, the, the police department put out annual reports. I mean, you do have huh? done. All right, awesome, awesome. All right, all in favor, say aye. <laughs> yeah. All right. Sorry. Go ahead. I mean, we tend to operate by you know taking a consensus at our board meetings before we make a position sure. as a group. But I understand. You know, Cisco can say he supports it. I can say I support it. Well, would right. you can take it up at your next meeting, perhaps? All right. Thank you very much. And thank you for preparing this. We really you appreciate bet. it. 
Wes, that was an easy question for them. Uh, <laughs> I'm glad you asked them questions, but can you ask them some difficult questions? Hi, I'm Lynn Thayer, and I just wanted to ask or clarify, is the old policy of broken windows gone, done, and dead, or is this just, uh, and, and the culture that goes with it in the department? So uh, the answer to the first question is uh, yes, uh, we do not engage in the, the broken windows policing um, philosophy. I, I think we outline pretty good uh, where we are today, where we're going in the near future, and where we're going in, in our long-term future. And you didn't hear broken windows uh, in any of that. Um, the second part, uh, culture. Um, you know, that, that's something that we uh, will continue to strive to get better. And I think by uh, our example of uh, putting uh, such a, uh, a diverse and inclusive executive leadership team is exactly uh, setting that tone right from uh, the top. And I'm proud of, uh, of the team that we've put together. And we're a team that is focused on uh, getting better every single day. And, and that's the type of culture that we are are moving towards. Um, we are uh, newly uh, appointed to these um, positions, but um, we're, uh, you know, the deputy chief hit a roll call uh, last night. Uh, Ron, I don't think, has slept in uh, at least five weeks because he's been at every community meeting and roll call um, out there. So we're, we're conveying the this, this, this same message, this, the same uh, use of force policy, the same PowerPoint, the same message that we're talking to you. I, I said it to, I don't know, 90, 100 uh, detectives today in the Art Dill Auditorium of this is where we are, this is uh, where we're going, and this is how we're going to get there. That The message didn't change. So when we're talking about building culture, we're out there day to day uh, doing that. And, and I'm confident that uh, we have a team that is focused on getting better every single day uh, for the entire department. Thanks, Lynn. Um, Jesse Paris, Denver Homeless Out Loud, Black Star Action Movement for Self-Defense, and also City Council at Large candidate for 2019. I have several questions for the panel today. The first one would be, um, I was at a meeting back in, it was either June or July, where there was going to be a card that was going to be issued for any stops that were given. And during these stops, the, the race of the person that was stopped was going to be listed. Mm -hmm. The status of the person was going to be listed. And it was some more information on that card. Is that, um, has that been implemented yet? And also, um, Deborah Homeless Out Loud, we are advocates uh, against the uh, urban camping ban. We're tired of the homeless uh, blankets being taken. Retarded of homeless being ticketed and harassed just for surviving on the streets of Denver. Is this panel looking into that? stopping that, and also we're tired of the permit patties, the barbecue Beckys, the widespread gentrification that's going on in our neighborhoods. We're um, is, there, is the panel looking into these 911 calls, these uh, unnecessary 911 calls that are being issued on people of color? Thank you. All right, I heard three questions. Uh, the first one is about data collection the data collection program that the police department um, 
isn't hasn't actually uh, the pilot has initiated if I if I'm, if I'm correct and um, I'll, I'll offer to, to let Chief Payson you know, give you the most up-to-date information but the, essentially the police department has initiated a pilot program in district 2 um, I believe it's district 2 right um, with respect to to that program and and that process of trying to collect that data and then the, the plan is to send that information um, to an organization, a national organization, to have them analyze it and actually see if there are disparities, et cetera, in the way that um, the police are interacting with the community. Is that about accurate? You're yeah. exactly right. Okay. And then uh, we're very fortunate. Uh, Division Chief Thomas is the one that's leading this uh, okay. project. So if you want, you could probably do your, your, your real short version. But, uh, Thank you very much. We can talk, we can talk uh, extensively <laughs> on this. It's really good, and, and I'm happy with where we're headed as well. So, so as, as I was introduced, I am Division Chief Thomas uh, over uh, the Division of Patrol. And so uh, you are correct. Uh, that, that program did start in District 2. We're about five weeks into the, a two-month pilot. And the pilot is really just to, to fine-tune the instrument that we're using to collect this data. Once we get through with the pilot, we'll analyze that data that has been gathered, make sure that we're answering the questions that we want answered relative to, you know, why do people get stopped and what, and what happens to those people that, that get stopped. And then uh, once we fine tune the instrument that we're going to use, then we'll push that out citywide. So every, every officer that works in a district, uh, traffic, the gang unit, they'll, be, they'll all be required to, to complete this card. Thank you very much, Commander Tom. Actually, it's not Commander anymore. Division Chief, Chief right? Yes. Um, <clears throat> with respect to the, the homeless sweeps, um, the, the frank answer to your question is, is that's not an issue that's come before the board. Uh, the community hasn't engaged us on that, and, and frankly, there we have been working on other issues that have come up with respect to oversight of law enforcement investigations of various pieces of misconduct. Um, I acknowledge, though, that you're, you as a community member are asking us to do that, and we can take that back and, and figure out a way to, to start to address it. Well, I, I want to clarify, not in recent times, but we have talked about it on various occasions and have heard testimony from people coming to our meetings that we have on the first and the third Friday of every month. They came and shared their experiences with us. We looked into it, especially in District 6. So that is an ongoing issue on our radar. There's been several other issues. So that's what we've been, you know. So we have dealt with it, and we will continue to. Me and myself, I'm definitely opposed to it, and I definitely support, you know, groups doing that. I mean, uh, homelessness is a real serious issue in our community. And of course, I support that. And as far as your other question about gentrifiers and and uh, the question about calling the police unnecessary, we've seen that all around the country, Oakland, other places, right? And so um, I know other community groups have talked about other places like in Chicago and other places, they've been having community meetings, inviting some of the gentrifiers to ask them questions like, why do you call the police? Like, what do you think a reason to call the police is for? And try to have a dialogue with them so when they see, you know, young Mexican men, a young Chicano men, or whoever, and they're not, you know, afraid of them, and say, how can they get those, those same needs met without calling the police? You know, the police get many, many calls, and, you know, things escalate and takes them out of, takes them out of the field from doing 
you know, serious work for calling for people, you know, we've seen those ones that have went viral, but you know, I know that from working in coal and other neighborhoods where that just is a common thing. So I think part of that, you know, I agree the police somehow should be a part of that, but we also, the community needs to engage them and say, hey, share with us what your fears are and what's going on and, and have a conversation uh, from our side. So they see uh, people of color in the community holding them accountable not like going to this race thing or nothing like that just more of like i know you're new to these communities but they have a history like what you love about my community is what you're tearing down at the same time so i think it's just having those frank discussions i like to you know afterwards maybe you could share your info with me and and we could work on that at some point you know it'd be good to have you there because you bring a perspective that other people might not have so thank you yeah thank you I'm also from Denver Homeless Out Loud, and I'll try not to repeat anything that he said. But the big issue that we've been facing is with the various sweeps that the police department have taken over the past year or two of homeless people, there's been a lot of taking of their possessions, including their IDs and things they care about a lot and things that are valuable to them and th throwing them away, losing them, not having any way of, of lining people up again with their own belongings or why they're being taken. And I wonder why that is necessary. So uh, very, very difficult question to, to answer. Uh, we, we don't want to take anybody's uh, ID um, when, when we are talking about, um, you know, the, these uh, challenges. Uh, sometimes I, I, I don't even know how to uh, answer that question. I guess there's a lot to it. Um, when, when we're talking about what are termed um, sweeps, uh, we don't, we don't set out for the day and say, okay, this is a homeless sweep day. That, that doesn't exist. Um, if there are areas that have uh, health uh, issues, then uh, oftentimes we'll partner with uh, the, the health uh, agencies to uh, try to eradicate the, the, the problems that we're having in those particular areas. And when you know items are, are you know uh, left without uh, being able to to connect them to who that person is, if that person isn't around, then that's how things uh, sometimes are. are difficult, but those things are, I mean, we're, it's a citywide comprehensive approach. We, the city, uh, will rent a uh, warehouse and those items are put together and then stored for, I believe, 90 days uh, before anything uh, happens to those. If we're talking about individual incidences where an officer uh, asks somebody for ID, they hold on to the ID and then they uh, forget to give it back to them or they lose the ID. Those are things that we do discipline officers for, but uh, a lot, of, lot to unpack there. Uh, there, there there's not there, there's no such thing as as a sweep even though it's been termed that if there's an area that uh, has rodent infestation we have you know uh, high levels of uh, different types of disease that can be transmitted usually it's a health order that will, will come in and it's a very comprehensive approach where uh, folks that are contacted or are, are given uh, more than adequate time to uh, remove their items uh, items that 
that uh, don't have an individual to to uh, place them with are. Uh, put together in, in uh, uh, packages, and then those are, are kept in a warehouse. The city will, uh, and they try to rent out a warehouse that's within one mile because they're talking about walking distance uh, between. So it, this is a, a massive issue. It's not exclusive to the police department. If you want to, you know, individual cases of, of people's property that not being uh, returned, like an ID or a wallet, those cases are referred to internal affairs. You can, you know, uh, report those cases to the Office of Independent Monitor. Those will be investigated. If uh, they're found to be sustained, then the officers will be disciplined for that. So I hope I answered the question, but we're, we're talking a massive issue. Sort of answer it? All right. <laughs> Okay, progress, we'll take progress. Good evening, my name is Joyce Miller. I'm a resident of Denver. My comments and questions are directed to the police chief. Um, when I read this black and white version of the uh, policy uh, reform, uh, they all say this policy not implemented until personnel training is completed. So does that mean it will not go into effect until 2019, uh, January or so, so um, in, in, in the PowerPoint, you see how we are doing the phased-in uh, training process. Uh, when you're talking about training 1,500 uh, officers, it's not just the patrol division because there's also officers or detectives uh, that could be uh, engaged in the same type of activity. So as soon as we have the officers uh, fully trained and we are ready to implement the policy, then that's exactly what we're doing. And we're working towards that as quickly as possible. It's a phased-in approach uh, in order to, to get there. So you said... Uh the end of this year, you wanted to have... We, we will have all 1,500 uh, officers, investigators, supervisors trained by the end of the year. Okay, so um, another thing, you made a comment about body cams, uh, the body cameras, um, when nationwide they were talking about having body cameras. Right. My objection was that if officers had uh, control to turn them off and on, then what was the use of spending the money to buy body cams? So right. in Denver, are the officers uh, equipped with the ability to turn the cameras on and off? Or You're correct. And, and so then there's a, a very strong policy with regards to body cams uh, as well. So if you have uh, officers that are turning them uh, off when there's items that they don't want uh, captured uh, on them, then they'll be disciplined uh, for that so as well. Is, is that included in the policy? Well, that, it's a it's a separate. It, it, it is available online. It's uh, you know we don't hide any of our policies. Okay. So it's just a separate policy, similar to the uniform is a, is a separate policy. The chase policy is separate, even though. At the end of a chase policy, there may be use of force, or at the end of a chase policy, there may be a need to, to make sure that the body cam is is on uh, prior to leading up during uh, the chase. There are separate policies to, to address the separate issues, but you can uh, see each and every one of them. Our, our policy manual is about 700, it's close to 700 pages, so it, it's quite extensive, uh, and that's something that uh, our officers uh, need to know, so when we're talking about you know input from from the community there's there's a lot there's a lot um, in there and it is uh, very transparent it's open you can pull it up on on any smartphone you can pull it up on any internet connection uh, at home uh, library wherever you need 
Okay, and uh, you talked about your vision for the police department. Are the officers aware of your complete uh, vision? For yes. So uh, we, we talked about that just a little bit. Um, they're in the Art Dill Auditorium today at 10 o'clock. I spoke to uh, all of the investigators and supervisors from the Major Crimes Division as well as uh, officers and supervisors from the Investigative Support Division. And everything that I told you about the what's, the uh, why's, the how's, uh, our domestic violence, all of that, uh, they heard the exact same thing. And I've been to every single uh, district uh, that, we've, that we've had. I've been to the gang unit, I've been to Metro SWAT, and then more importantly, our, our team is reemphasizing that. Uh, Ron, I, 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 I don't know how many roll calls they've uh, gone to, but I know it's a lot. And uh, Barb was just at District 2 roll call last night uh, after a long, uh, community meeting that we had, uh, instead of going home, uh, she went and, and, and hit the, the roll call. So yes, we are uh, doing that. And then it's not a short-term commitment. Um, I can tell you that our, our team is committed to doing these monthly. The same thing that we uh, that, that I said at 10 o'clock or 11 o'clock, because I talked for a while, um, was that this isn't the, you know, it's not the, the first, it may be the first time, but it's not the last time that, that we'll uh, be having these ongoing conversations. But um, we want feedback from the officers as well, right? Um, they're the ones that are doing uh, the job. We want to make sure that we are accessible and that it's a two-way communication, that we're communicating and sharing our vision establishing that culture, but we're also uh, have the feedback loop on what's working, what's not working, uh, what ideas and innovations that they have so we can, again, do a better job in the future. Okay. Thank, Thank you. you. Thank you, Ms. Williams. Good evening. My name is Nicole Spurikas, and I have two comments. Um, first of all, to me, to me, can you hear me now? Yes. Okay. Yes, Thank Nicole. You. Uh, to me, um, the dichotomy between a disciplinary matter and a uh, criminal matter is not always as clear-cut as you sort of suggested when you kind of did, did this, right? And um, a lot of times a disciplinary matter in, uh, it has to do with a very troubled kid who two weeks later may do something criminal. So, um, you know, I realize it's kind of a DPS problem in terms of dealing with the original disciplinary issue, but people should be aware that depending on who the kid is, how troubled they are, and what have you, that they may be at risk for you know, you know, transitioning into some more uh, uh, criminal kind of behavior, okay? The, the second thing I want to point out is the need for aggressive evaluation of your policies. Most people wouldn't be critical of, of finding out that a policy worked well two years later, but they may be critical finding out two years later that a policy wasn't working. And therefore, I think it's important to have kind of a rolling evaluation component so that you can spot trends in policies that aren't effective and aren't working sooner rather than later. And that's just two comments. Thank you. Thank you. I will, I will ask that you make sure you speak into the microphone as much as you, you possibly can. Thank you. Hi, my name's Eva Hutt. I'm also with Together Colorado. Um, I, I want to um, 
I want to comment that, <clears throat> that the use of force policy shows in the way it improved over what was um, put out 18 months ago, what it means to have good community input um, and very optimistic about that. Also want to reiterate that it's incredibly important. You've heard it before, and really I don't understand why there isn't a clear commitment from you, sir, um, to uh, report some basic statistics now and report them again in a public way to the community so that we can all track this and work together. There are a couple other things I want to say about gaps in the policy. One has to do with the decision not to um, require reporting of unleashing a holster. I don't know about you, but if somebody pulls out a gun on me, that I've been forced. Um, and the second thing is I think as the policy is a living document and changes and grows during your tenure, um, that we really need to address the importance of not using force against people who are being verbally abusive. And I know verbal abuse is hard to take, but it's no reason to wave a nightstick or pull a gun. Thanks. Thank you. Thank you very much, Ava. Good evening, can everyone hear me? So my name is Kamal Allen, I'm also with uh, Together Colorado, I am uh, an organizer with Together Colorado. And um, <clears throat> I have two questions, one is relating to officers who have um, uh, disciplinary issues as well as the implementation of this uh, use of force policy. Um, the first question is, would an officer who has already been in violation of the use of force policy either in the past or in another department who was hired by DPD, um, who is then found in violation of this use of force policy be handled any differently than an officer who violates it for the first time? So a new officer, so a lateral essentially, right? Somebody that's worked in a previous department and if they have a violation of a use of force policy in the past, and then you wanna know if that would be, so the way that the, the disciplinary matrix works is that would be the, the first violation in Denver would be their first violation, whether they were uh, a lateral hire or a new entry hire. Okay, thank you. And um, my, my second question, which is related to a, um, a meeting that you've had with Together Colorado, which I think would be valuable information to our community partners here is um, how can community partners um, continue um, providing input and resources and relationship and collaboration when it comes to implementing this use of force policy? Well, uh, we, we, we made progress, whether uh, we made that initially or, or stumbled into it. And, and I think we stumbled into it uh, later. And, and uh, I, I think proof is in the pudding here that uh, regardless how we got to uh, the community input, once we did have community input, that uh, it's a policy that is much stronger and much more progressive than had we as a uh, police department tried to do it by ourselves. That lesson is not lost. Uh, we're not going to sit here and then as we uh, move towards uh, future endeavors, not uh, you know, 
try to do the the exact same thing. Uh, you learn from from those lessons, and and that's what we what we've been talking about doing um, better as we move forward. Yes, we we. Uh, the three of us uh, sat down, or the four of us, the five of us. I, I told you I went to North, right? The county seven. might not be the best um, here. Um, we sat down and we and we talked. So and we talked about uh, a report that would catalog and uh, be transparent on on where we are with those. We are working towards those, but we also talked about today's the first day of training, right? So how can we report out on something that? Uh, the very first, I, I, I definitely can't train, well, I could have, right? Uh, I talked about how we could have hit the easy button. We could have hit the easy button and said the final report is the final uh, use of force policy. I'm sorry, the final policy is the final use of force policy. And I don't think that would have done anybody any good. We, we could have done that. We could have said the July uh, 5th presentation of the final use of force policy was it and said that is a done deal. And we could have just hit the email send and said all 1,500 officers, all of this, you need to know and understand and digest it. And when we're talking about physical force being used uh, on or by uh, officers and or community members, figure it out. But we didn't do that. We, we together have this heavy lift of, of finding common ground, and that's that's our philosophy, that's our culture, that's what we're doing moving forward. So. Um, uh, we need uh, some time to get the policy trained. We need a little bit of time. That way we can uh, effectively evaluate it, find out what is working and what's not working. And, and I said it to uh, the committee uh, that you have our, uh, our commitment that we are going to uh, evaluate this and come together and work towards uh, either strengthening the policy or saying, yeah, it's working uh, as planned. Uh, we have a year's worth of review. Let's meet again in six months. Let's meet again in 12 months and see if it's still working after then. Because uh, again, what might make sense in, uh, today, it, it may be completely different in 12 months, 24 months, 36 months, and you have our commitment that we are willing to, to come to the date to the table and evaluate this. We're not saying that, that this thing is is done and we're never going to change it. This is uh, one of, if not the most critical policies in that entire 700-page uh, manual, and, and we will uh, evaluate it and, and ask for community input uh, a year after implementation. Okay, thank you, and, and I don't know if I've communicated effectively exactly what I was trying to ask. Um, I, I guess I was asking, are there points in the process of training and implementation when, uh, where community members can um, get involved in support? Is so, what I'm asking. Uh, thank you, thank you for clarifying it. And I, and I think this goes back to that Virtua 300. Um, we do want uh, to open up the, the doors. Where, where we are uh, right now with the lecture base and uh, the, the eight-hour training, I think the most appropriate part or the, the best input that we could have is the same thing that, that some of the board members had the opportunity to do. And we would open that up to, to you, Together Colorado, the other uh, groups that, that worked really hard, uh, anybody that's, that's interested to, to take a look at it. And as we build and develop those uh, scenario-based uh, situations that that you can see for yourself if, if those things are uh, training out our policy the way that they were designed. 
Thank, Thank you, Mr. Harris. So in the interest of time, um, I, I think that we can only take a couple more questions. I, I see people, a few people queued up, but um, just, just so we can get people out of here as close to, to eight as possible. Um, hi, my name is Michelle Sepulveda. I'm an educator at Colorado High School, um, GES. We are a charter school. Um, my question for you is, because I know that there are programs like Bridging the Gap between Kids and Cops. I am a recent um, trained facilitator for that. Mm -hmm. But when I think about working with my youth who have experienced many le different levels of trauma and have a lot of like negativity towards cops in general, I want to know what kind of training is in um, this use of force policy that is geared towards youth. So, um, you know, the policy is 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 based on uh, the application. I mean, there I guess there's a very small reference on on uh, you know some of the the tools or devices, but um, that's not the purpose of this policy. If we're talking about uh, trauma informed practices, implicit bias, some of those uh, issues that that have an impact, that's uh, we we don't have that in in policy. That's that that's not part um, of this. We do provide uh, training. We have uh, 268 officers that have gone through that effective interactions with youth and we are expanding uh, that moving forward um, so so that's how we're addressing uh, again um, a few years ago you, uh, it would be hard-pressed to find uh, any agency or any police officers that are uh, learning these same types of common uh, same types of, of um, challenges that our community has adolescent brain development the uh, trauma-informed practices and uh, the implicit bias our, our officers are getting that they're getting uh, trained in those areas and then they're participating in those forms. So kudos to you for being a facilitator. Have you hosted uh, any of the, the uh, forums yet? Um, not yet, but just going after or experiencing that and thinking like the mistrust that my students have. Mm -hmm. It just makes me think like once this use of force policy, once you know police officers are being trained and they're able to see it, I believe that bridging the gap can be a more effective program. It's just like at this point, you know, I invited my students to come. I had one student that decided to come, but the other ones were just like, they gave me questions. Most of it was based on training and how right. they're gonna be treated. I did have one female student last year on an RTD incident where um, the handcuffs left bruises on their arms and there was like bruises and like she had to walk with a limp and it was just because she was trying to calm her friend who was like reacting towards the cops. So when I hear stories about a student getting like the broken window thing not supposed to happening be happening and hearing it that it happened and they get tased in the face. Yeah, like they are kids, they might exaggerate or whatever, but when you see the scars and things, it just makes you question things that much more. Well, thanks for facilitating. I think it would be great uh, to talk to Gia and try to get a form set up for your school. Have you have you done that yet? Um, no, not yet. I, okay. I did, um, I wanted to do something with Lyric. I'm just waiting to, uh, for them to email me back so we can schedule a date. These are very impactful, and uh, when, when you talk about the small group work that is done, uh, there's a lots uh, of lessons learned that, that take place, lots of light bulb moments um, for not only the officers, but also the young people that are, are involved. So this is just one um, component uh, of that, but it, it is uh, one piece of a broader, it's not, we're, we're not saying that this is the be all end all for us that, that 
we're doing this and, and, and uh, you know, that has, uh, the and is part of the Community Culture Academy that we uh, do, and um, that's when the officers graduate from not the, the police academy itself, but from the field training program, so that way they can, officers can learn firsthand from the communities that they do serve some of those uh, historical uh, conflicts that have taken place between the officers and the communities that they serve. Again, another component to breaking that down. We talk about all officers getting the 40 hours of CIT, so there's many different components in order to address that, but part of CIT also involves that adolescent brain de development, the decision, youth decision making, and all of those pieces. So it's, it, 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 it's all separate components that fit towards this bigger picture to establish that culture of, of trying to uh, essentially de-escalate those situations, reduce the number of negative impacts or negative uh, interactions that take place. Thank, Thank you. you. Thank you, Michelle. <laughs> I, that, I, think if you don't know about the Bridging the Gap program, I encourage you to, Chief Hazen is right, it's really an excellent program. I'd love to see it expanded. Uh, again, in the interest of time, Yes, I, 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 I This is actually, Thank my you. name is Rebecca Henderson. Um, I do work at the library. This isn't a question I think that you can actually answer, um, but it's something that I'd like you guys to maybe go home and think about and chew on, if that's okay. Um, this whole idea of use of force why are we using the force in the first place? What is inspiring? You're using these terms like fear of crime. What I hear is fear of black and brown people. That's what I hear, okay? So I just, I'm sorry, I don't want to be emotional. My, my cousin was killed by the police, okay, years ago. So there's a lot going on there, but it's like, how are we going to address these real issues that are really at the root of it, which is white supremacy and internalized dominance and a myth of black inferiority and brown inferiority? And I just want you to think about it. Yeah. Oh, uh, uh, Aubrey Lavazzo, I am on uh, Chief, White's, uh, Chief White's and Chief Pazin's Community Advisory Board. I'm a member. Uh, full disclosure, I've known Chief Pazin now for four years and worked with him closely. And while I do appreciate some of the things that, that, that have been brought up, some of the issues, I think it's also important to emphasize the good things that happen in this community. Uh, and a couple of years ago, I did a ride-along in Commander Pazin's District 1. And regarding the homeless situation, our first call out, and I think it came from Chief White, was that there was a, a homeless man that lived in an encampment up on the Platte River in Globeville, and uh, had supposedly been injured. Well, the call came down for us to go find that homeless person and get him help. We, look, we spent, and I, I was there, I spent over an hour. In the end, there were four cars looking for one homeless person. We were supposed to get him help. He turns out he was okay. I met him, he was okay. Second instance I want to tell you about, someone asked, uh, I think Mr., uh, Dr. Brown, is it, or Mr. Brown, R Mark Brown? Yes. Yeah, the thing about youth engagement, um, uh, uh, I've, again, knowing uh, Chief Payson now, um, I, he may not have told you, I know very well because I've worked with him for so long, uh, is the, a program that he created in Sun Valley working with youth, and he didn't talk about that, and I know we don't have time to talk about that now, but he created a program that, that provided exposure to young people in Sun Valley where they got exposure to the city council, the judicial system, um, and he got them jobs. Um, working in a community. That was Chief Pazin. Personally, I've worked with him on 
with at-risk boys at Greenlee Elementary School, most of these boys were of color, of course. Uh, in fifth grade boys in one program, and it's a program that he himself initiated, and just this past April, uh, worked with him again with fourth grade boys, at-risk at boys on community engagement project. He brought them into his, his office, uh, into the uh, conference room, and sat down and answered their questions honestly, and at the end of that discussion, these boys, and they were all people of color, boys of color, they, they all, it, she changed their minds about the police department. So I think we need to hear the good stories too. Thank you. Thank you. I'm, I'm clapping for that one. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. No, I, I agree. Uh, there, there are a lot of very good, good people, hardworking people, uh, the police department, the sheriff's department. Department of Safety, and it's, it's the discussions are about trying to get things right when, when, when they go wrong, and um, there's no question that um, there's a sense that um, it goes wrong more often with um, individuals and in communities, um, the African-American community, Latino community, um, is my observation. Um, I want to thank everyone for, for, for being here. Um, I, I think it's, it's time to, to wrap up this meeting. I want to first thank our, our guest, Chief Pazin, uh, for sitting in the hot seat for a bit, but also, um, yeah, being, being very candid, very candid in your answers. Thank you very much. Um, and also for um, your, um, your team, team, your team that uh, has, has come forward and, and taken the time to come here and join us as well. Thank you very much. Uh, very quickly, the, these meetings um, really are, are very helpful for us, but also we, we think they're helpful for the community. We take this information, we um, process it, we, we try to come up with ways that we can react to it. Because we have the meetings with, on a regular basis with the safety department personnel, um, these are issues that we'll bring, bring up with them. Uh, I do want to share that at our last uh, public forum, we collected information and feedback from the community regarding some issues with the, the department, uh, the sheriff's department here in Denver, um, as well as uh, comments regarding oversight in general. And those, um, pieces of information, that feedback we got from the community, just community, just so you know, are on posters here around the room. So if you uh, have the time before you leave, please take a look. And if there's anything you want to add, please write, write on the board. We, we, all, we always want to be hearing from the community. We certainly have information from you tonight that we will take back and, and we'll continue to try to work with the Department of Safety as well as uh, the police chief um, to move things in the positive direction collaborating the, the way that um, we think is, is positive for this community. Um, with that, I want to thank the um, members from the Office of the Independent Monitor who helped put this forum together, um, particularly Gia Irlando. And, uh, and, and finally, I want to thank Channel 8. Um, they, Channel 8's been a partner of, with us for, for many, many years, and we appreciate you being here so that this uh, forum can get broadcasted out to a larger, larger swath of the community. Um, on that, I, I'd like to say thank you again, and, um, and good evening. Thank <laughs> you.